car is the most honest car you've ever seen. It's been a dream ever since I've had it. The first time I heard that engine screaming, I thought, I gotta have one of those. For me, the cars have personality. What's great about a BMW Classic is the community that surrounds it. When you listen to that, <laughs> that's why we're here. Welcome to Classic Heart, the BMW Group Classic Podcast. My name is JP and uh, I will keep it very short in my introduction today because our guest today is Jim Huff. He is a BMW nut and he talks a lot and everything he has to say is super exciting. Welcome, Jim Huff. Hey, JP. How are you today? Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm very happy that you find the time to join us. And guess what? You are our first guest in 2024. Not too bad, Exciting. No? Yes, the new year. Here we are kicking off the new year. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure it's going to include more podcasts for you and uh, more car activities for myself. And exactly about your car activities we would like to speak later on. But first of all, Jim, where do we find you today? Are you at home? I am home today, sir, and I am in San Francisco, California. Nice. Living through a very California winter, fall kind of day. I'm sitting here in this in the middle of nowhere in Germany, and it's raining, and it's uh, mediocre cold. So how is a winter on San Francisco streets look like? I would say California winters uh, are wonderful in the sense that the temperatures do not dip too low. And we don't have to encounter too terribly much other weather uh, happenings. Uh, I do not have to winterize my cars or garage them for several months at a time. I do drive year round. I mean, everyone in the US who is interested in everything BMW and the Neue Klasse stumble upon your name easily. So that's like, I mean, you're kind of the godfather of Neue Klasse in the US. But uh, please, for those who might not or never heard your name and nothing, nothing about you, please give us a little of an introduction. How would you describe yourself best? I would say I am an enthusiast uh, in general, not only with cars, but with life. And I uh, grew up in the Midwest within this mm -hmm. country, St. Louis, Missouri. And I grew up around parents that had, uh, looking back, some interesting cars without trying. Mm -hmm. You know, cars at that time that they purchased and used as uh, utilitarian modes of transport. I now look back and, and realize maybe where some of this started for me in relation to cars. Um, I also have delved heavily into the world of design. And so I'm always constantly uh, looking at the aesthetic world that surrounds us. And this um, has to do with product design, architecture, and transportation design, graphic design, all of those disciplines that we see every day as we walk down the streets, no matter where we are in the world. And mm -hmm. somehow those things affect us in a positive manner, uh, hopefully. Yeah. What cars did your parents actually drive? I mean, what sparked your interest in cars? Yeah, I mean, the cars that stood out to me that um, sort of resonate with me, I guess you could say, um, were several different Impalas. And mm. uh, my dad had this really cool, cool is a loose word, of course, um, I had this really great uh, Malibu that was black on black. And uh, I remember that car uh, quite often, not only because of its shape and form and its sort of American muscle grunt under the hood, 
but just sort of it, it, it's it, the black on black, you know, had sort yeah. of this ominous uh, look to it, of course. For those who are not so familiar, so the Malibu is a Chevrolet, right? Yes. What was black over black, you said? Black outside, black interior. Mega. So it was that's black like exterior, the... black interior. Yeah. So that's a Darth Vader of cars, I would say. Very much so, yes. Very cool. I mean, that has a. these cars have a presence no matter what. So what yeah, are we talking about? Like, like 1972 or something like this? These are in the 70s, yeah. Ah, Most definitely mega. in the 70s. And uh, as I think back now that we're talking about periods of time, I, you know, you we're talking about modes of transport uh, ultimately. And and I, I think that's as, I, as I've stair-stepped my way to uh, what is now a, a fairly good concentration on vintage BMWs, I look back at skateboards and bicycles and Italian scooters yeah. and things of the like that also uh, I would say were stepping stones in my life. Nice. I mean, the Chevrolet Malibu, if I remember correctly, I'm really not so good at American cars, but I think there's the very rare ones that got the M80 Sport Package. It's by, by Nesca. And I only know that because I watched a TV show ages ago and they were speaking about Chevrolet being a guy born in Switzerland, then went over to the States and then they went through all the different car periods. So that's my earliest remembrance. I think that's the car you wanted to have like with a sports package and only a handful were made. But um, yet I would be interested in uh, why do you think Americans are so fascinated by European classic cars? You know, I think it probably... It my own take on it is that people have interest a lot of times in things that weren't readily available to them in their surroundings, mm -hmm. or they did not grow up with such a thing. And, um, you know, I think that could be said for the interest uh, to some extent in, in European cars on this side of the pond. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, the Alphas and the Porsches and the BMWs and the Citroëns of the back roads and the highways of Europe, you know, fascinate me. So maybe there, maybe that's the, the crossover of sorts. The love for BMW cars is obvious. The love for four-door BMW cars is even more special. So when did all this love affair start? Well, as with a lot of folks, my love with vintage BMWs started with the BMW 2002, the forever iconic vehicle from the 60s and 70s. I had one uh, up until a few years ago, which I drove the heck out of as a daily driver. Mm -hmm. I, I drove it to work every day and I did many, many thousands of miles on the back roads of California doing California uh, back road rallies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a beautiful, it wasn't the most beautiful car, I should say. It was affectionately called the Red Rat. And mm -hmm. um, it was good looking enough but uh, <laughs> held its own considering what I did with it in regards to some of these very, very spirited drives uh, mm -hmm. here in California with uh, <laughs> other folks uh, of a similar mindset. But about a dozen years ago, 12 years ago or so, I was given a model of a red car and the person that gave it to me thought it was a 2002. So they were giving it to me to uh, emulate what they thought I owned. But I was yeah. looking at the model and it was had four doors and uh, I flipped it over and it was a 1500 and it was one of these little die cast metal toy cars from France. Yeah. And that really got me going again because I had seen images of the cars, meaning the four doors, 
and I had seen uh, some ads, you know, period correct ads um, in relation to these four doors. And but they really didn't stick in my mind until that model. And then I started researching them some more. I was perusing Craigslist. I started uh, casting a, a, a wider net looking for one of these four door cars. I found one. I went to look at it. It was four different colors and the interior was completely sun rotted out and it was five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So I had to go for it. It was sort of a no brainer. I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that moment in time, but um, I went for it and I bought what has become known uh, a little bit in certain circles as the Great Ghost, and it's a BMW 1600 four door. So mm-hmm. um, I brought that car back to life uh, over a year span and uh, have driven the heck out of it the last uh, 11 plus years. Wow. I mean, first of all, I really love that your passion for the Neue Klasse started with a mistake. I really love that. I mean, that's the best start. So look, this is a model of your car. Here you have it. And so on. It was, so the model was also red? It was red and it was definitely not a 2002 uh, because of the no, four doors. It, it was a 1500, correct? Yes. I mean, if it's a red one, it had the brown interior, correct? The model red and brown interior, I would bet with you because I had the same model at home. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I want to run and get it. Uh, I can't remember if it's brown. It might be black. Okay. We, we deliver this I'll later on. I'll follow up with you on that one. <laughs> Perfect. That's another topic for another, for another podcast. Yes, so that's a whole other podcast. Stuff, the interior Exactly. Color. Exactly. Let's speak about Maserati and Burkina car models. <laughs> and we were like, I will I, I accept a bet on that one, actually. Um, because... To be honest, it's very hard to find special colors on the 1500 models in the diecast uh, versions. It's not easy because they always go for the safe options. So you gave your cars names. People do that. I think that's also fair. Yeah. So we had the uh, 2002, which was following you through your daily driving life as the red rat. Correct. Then there is the BMW 1600. But why is it called Grey Ghost? A person came up to me at the parking lot of a mall and was inquiring Mm -hmm. about the car and looking at it and thought it was a 2002, which is usually the case. And then I explained to them, you know, it's it's a four-door predecessor to that car. And this person looked at me and they're like, oh, the color, I really like the color. It's like a gray ghost. And so I was like, okay, total stranger said that. It's sticking. It's done. So yeah, these nicknames, uh, uh, it's not like I use them all the time, but yes, the, that particular car is called the Grey Ghost. I happen to have a, an 1800, a 1965-1800 that I got a few years ago that is, uh, does not have a factory paint job on it, and it is painted white mm-hmm. with a red stripe down the side, down each side, a la sort of Ford Cortina kind of feelings. Yep. And again, red stripes down each side. JP, I'm going to put this out in the universe. Can you guess the nickname of that car? <sighs> it is Red Stripe, sir. The nickname of ah, that car is okay. Red Stripe. It was the first <laughs> thing I wanted to say. <laughs> and then there's another car under my umbrella that is a, a fully stock 1965-1800 that is black in color mm-hmm. from the factory, uh, color code 086. 
So it has about 10 nicknames, but the mm-hmm. one that sort of sticks right now is The Count. But I it's love also that. been called uh, Song Names, and it's also been called a few other things. So I'll call the 086NK for the color code. I call mm-hmm. it the Black Elephant. I call it the Burn Croissant. <laughs> I call it Back in Black. I call it Fade to Black. Yes. So that car has um, too many nicknames, let's say. And then yeah. uh, the fourth car in my four-door uh, gathering, if you will, is a race car. Mm-hmm. And it's a full-spec vintage race car that is silver in color. And it probably has, let's say, the least interesting nickname, as it is called by its number. <laughs> it is number 17 <laughs> on the doors of this car and on the hood. <laughs> and uh, that is my race car that we call 17. It provides excitement elsewhere. For the car that you described, um, the Count, I think imagining it being a black car, I mean, it looks very elegant. And I could picture this massive guy, Count Basie, getting out of the back of that car on a music uh, musical visit to Munich. And that's uh, his chap's car at the in, in that time when he was visiting uh, in the 60s, uh, Munich or whatever. I mean, I could imagine that. I can imagine anybody getting out of this car. This car has such a look and is so unique mm-hmm. with its color on the exterior being black and the interior being gray. Yeah. That car will dress you up or dress you down or whatever you want to do. Uh, it, it, it has such a chameleon factor to it and is such yeah. a beautiful stock example. Yeah, you can drive it through the opera and also go to a coffee, cars and coffee easily. Exactly. Uh, but let's talk about number 17 a little bit more. Because you took it to a car race and not to any car race. You took it to, drum roll. The Monterey Historics, which is also called the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. Exactly. I was fortunate enough to be accepted there and race this last year. This actually makes my third year there in number 17. Mm-hmm. And each time I've done it, uh, I race the weekend before the reunion, which they call the pre-reunion, and then mm-hmm. I race the weekend of the reunion. It's it's exciting. Uh, it's it's a real um, buzz to be part of such an event that is attended internationally. And my focus is on all the action at the track and to not only be part of the racing itself within the saloon group, um, but also to watch all the other great cars and meet people and, and develop camaraderie and, and uh, enlightenment uh, as a whole uh, with such an event. Mega. And it, just one question. Is uh, 17 a TISA? 17 is not a TISA. It's an 1800 TI. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes people think it is a TISA because I do have TISA wheels on it. Uh, and as it. you probably know, JP, the TISA cars, of which they made 200 of from the factory, which is a homologated yep. uh, car that bought, saw both street and race car, um, uh, racetrack action, uh, had a special inverted center steel wheel portion. So mm-hmm. they are referred to as Tisa Steelies, and uh, they were special to those cars. I found out a few years ago they were also actually just for sale to anybody as an add-on. So they weren't only oh, really? on Tisas. Yes, there's there's sets of wheels out there floating around with date stamps on them that are later uh, in period. 
can you explain a little bit the history of the teaser? So what makes a teaser so special and why you don't have one? Well, teasers uh, are special in the sense that they left the factory with some extra goodies on it uh, that people would usually have to do on their own later. Yeah. They had they had larger carburetors, a higher compression motor, a dog leg gearbox, uh, a special steering wheel makes them distinct. Also, the uh, sort of distinct TISA thing uh, was the tachometer that came out yeah. of the dashboard and traveled up the steering wheel column. The steel wheels that I had mentioned, also the seats that came in TISAs usually were these special, beautiful oxblood red and black seats by Rastal. And um, Mega. so those are a few of the TISA centric characteristics. And as mentioned, they only made 200 of them. So they're not plentiful. There's not that many around. Uh, there's there's some in the United States, mm -hmm. a handful or two. Uh, there's a few in Europe that I know of. But other than that, TISAs are sort of scarce and hard to come by. And they definitely fetch, fetch a few more uh, monies than, let's say, a regular new class car would. But um, the 1800 Ti itself, uh, the way I have it set up, uh, as far as uh, higher compression motor and uh, dual carburation yeah. uh, and such, you know, uh, share aspects of what would be uh, uh, looked at as a uh, true factory TISA. I only know of two TISAs in this country that are set up uh, to race. Yeah. The other ones are set up as either streetcars or are just shoved away in garages in disrepair. I think that there are only few for racing as well. The, the the two I know are still in the factory condition and are not for racing. And I'm not sure if actually the Dita Cuesta car from the Wien Aspen race from the 66, I think that car is still around, but I don't know where. It has this distinctive blue uh, stripe on the hood. But I mean, the Tisa cars are amazing. But I love uh, 17 as well. And now, uh, please describe how is the feeling doing a corkscrew in 17? So the corkscrew is such an interesting uh, part of a track that is, you know, known globally, I would say, in, in the world yeah. of racing. Um, you know, anytime you mention Laguna Seca, people, uh, you know, usually follow up with like, oh yeah, the corkscrew. So it's it's a, uh, the first few times one does it, it's, it's quite interesting in the sense you're going into that fairly blind on your left turn into it. But once... Uh, you're into that left turn briskly. You're realizing on the downhill that you need to get into that right turn as well, or, or you're not going to stay on the track. <laughs> so I would say yeah. it's sheer excitement. It's a challenge. Um, it's a place where on occasion somebody will try to line up a pass, which is fairly radical. Uh, mm -hmm. But that track as a whole, quite frankly, is just special and uh, has some some very unique parts to it. And And, uh, you know, uh, now in my sort of coming up on my fourth year of racing, it, it really is sort of the sum of the parts and chipping away at them. So I try to yeah. better myself when I'm in the corkscrew. I try to better myself in turn six, you know, it, it's it's your approach and and your apex and your your braking and et cetera. And I, I it's such a joy to, to, to be able to be be a part of it. Um, And speaking of the corkscrew, last year for the first time ever at that track, uh, at the end of the uh, race weekend, they did a reverse hill climb. 
What? Starting at the starting line and going up through the corkscrew the opposite way. Yeah. So that amazing. Yes. That JP, that is where it really got interesting because you're so used to uh, your mind muscle is developed to always take that left and go down and take the right. And that lives within you Yeah, going up the corkscrew to take the left and then a right was both uh, once again, very interesting and unique. The experience. Fantastic. I sh- I'm shame I missed that one. And was racing always a thing that you wanted to do? So did you start with motorbike racing or what was the evolution to become a racer or semi-professional racer? Yeah, with cars, uh, I think I've just always watched racing from afar. Uh, and mm-hmm. then with vintage racing itself, um, you know, the past 15 plus years, I just got into it more and more uh, as I was running the back roads of California with my friends, a lot of them were either uh, racing in the vintage classes or doing the La Carrera Panamericana or things of the like. And so I would start going to the track more and more. And I found myself hanging on the outside of the fence, watching the racing, where I found myself more and more jumping into the pits and helping my friends change tires, change wheels, et cetera, uh, you know, push the cars. And I feel like all those were paths leading to me ultimately being able to find a way to race. And sure enough, it happened. And, 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 you know, life is so much about timing and there's a wonderful gentleman, uh, out of the state of Oregon, his name is Steve Walker, and he is known up and down the West coast, uh, as a racer and especially a vintage BMW racer. He's raced 3.0s, 700s, 2002s, and he owned number 17 and got it to where it is right now. Uh, and he raced it for years before he kindly passed it along to me uh, three and a half years ago. Oh, wow. So so 17 has a good legacy. 17 has a good legacy. And uh, years ago, it was actually somewhat of a different car that was built up to do the La Carrera Panamericana but actually never did it. Mm-hmm. And so Steve raced it that way for years up in the Portland and Washington state area at different tracks. And mm-hmm. then in 2016, in preparation for that, which was BMW's hundredth anniversary. And at the Monterey historics here at Laguna Seca, he uh, brought out a new incarnation of the car as we see it now, mm-hmm. the silver paint job, number 17, and things of the, uh, of the like. Would the participation and the Carrera Panamericana something that you would be also interested in? I believe it's a 10-day event or 8-day event. Uh, it, it, it appeals to me. I just don't see w- with time or lack of time how I could pull off such a thing when I'm trying to go to the track and, and race yeah. five times a year and do, do other car-centric uh, events. But yeah. yes, gosh, if I could do the La Carrera, that would be, uh, you know, somewhat of a dream come true. Yeah. So we spoke a lot about racing in 17, but is it like, if you compare the competition in your class, where do you see the competitors for your BMW for 17 to compete with? Is it like, uh, what is it? Is it Alphas or is it, what are the, the competitors? Yeah, you know, what's really great about this group I'm running in um, usually uh, is the mix of cars. And as you know, that's why we Mm -hmm. go to such events, because uh, we're not going to go watch 
20 2002s race against each other. You look at the field and you see 2002s, 1600s, 1800s, Alfa Romeo yeah. Supers, Alfa Romeo GTVs, GTAs. Yeah. You see Porsche 356s. You see Ford Cortinas. You see Ford Escorts. So, yeah. you know, I know that my car is never going to be a podium car within my group, but I would say, and, and I stand behind these words, it's a strong mid-pack car. And um, yes. I, as I, as I uh, race more and more, I am usually looking around at Julia Supers. Uh, I'm usually running with them. Uh, Ford Escorts, Minis. So yeah, that's what's great. You know, I, I usually find my race within the race, as we say. And uh, as I look around, it, it's really awesome to to have these other varieties uh, around me, and, yeah. and and we're going at it without um, taking each other out. Of course, the goal is to get home uh, in one piece, yeah. both uh, body and car. That's the most important part. You can be competitive, but don't be crazy and uh, be on a suicide mission. But what would you say? How is the what is the advantage of driving seventeen, uh, especially? So how is the handling of that car? They handle in a way that people um, would not expect is, is my take. Mm -hmm. um, because visually you're looking at this car, right? And I affectionately call it the German box because it's a very yes. boxy car. It has four yes. doors and it looks like it's ready to go get groceries and that's about it. But that is definitely not the case um, depending on how you set it up. So yeah. as we mentioned before, these different uh, sort of varieties that I have, I have one that is completely stock, one that is slightly modified, one that is heavily modified, and then a full-spec race car. Uh, they, they get around the track in a manner that is uh, surprising to most folks. The thing that does not help with the car is the weight. Uh, yes. These cars are weightier. I'm out there with cars that weigh you know, between 950 to uh, 1,600 pounds. So uh, number 17 comes in at about 2,300 pounds so it's yeah. just a heavier car and, you know, I'm okay with that. I, I'd rather race that car uh, than any other car. What me always gets on, on these cars, I can really tell you, is the back. I'm in love with this wide booth, the lamps in the back. I mean, vertical taillights, vertical taillights, vertic I mean, yes, sir. Always, always work, always bloody work on me. I mean, it's the most good looking back of a four door out of the market period, in my opinion. Uh, I love it and, too. It's distinct. But what? let's speak about the front a little bit. Because, I mean, in, in, in 90, when was it, 66, came the square headlights, no? For the 2000. Uh, so there was, there was a few different headlights for those cars. But the one that emulates the 2002 the most would be the single headlight up front. And, yes. and when you glance at the cars, and that's why people always mistake them to be 2002s, the noses do have a very similar look. Yes, uh, Mind you, the new class car is just a bit wider. So the grills extend on beyond the headlamps. And I think what you're yeah. speaking of is sort of a square headlamp, which was part of the Euro edition car. Exactly. Um, and we call them European headlamps here in the United States. And then there was also nice. uh, one other headlamp set up, and that was the quads. So there was two headlamps exactly. per side, and that was a U.S. spec thing. Yes. And just to put you into the picture, because you can't unfortunately see what I see now, because at hand, 
Jim is presenting me an official brochure photo of that car with exactly that headlights. I like, is it oh, about mega? It's even it's the advert, right? It's an old advertisement uh, yeah. at the top with a nice. question. The question that's being posed is, is BMW a family car? And yeah. then what I love about <laughs> this is it says, well, let's see now. First BMW has one of the fastest cars in its class in the world. And then it goes on to speak about some of its racing history, meaning it was the yes. first car to do under 10 minutes at Nürburgring. It also yes. won a first class 24 hours spa. So, you know, these four door cars had their, their place in race history as well. well they absolutely. weren't just grocery getters. Yes. I mean, look at Hubert Hahner. I mean, he's the most exciting racing driver in the 1800 Ti. He was dominating the German uh, racing scene. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it was 15. I'm really not good at this. Maybe he won 15 out of 16 races or 14. I'm I may mistaken. So he was really like big, big. And then you have uh, so many others who won around the world with this car. And that's also something we should not underestimate. But I think Hubert Hane is, is the name. I think also Jackie X, uh, 2000 Ti trophy, I think. I mean, there are so many. And this shows exactly the magic of this model line, of this, of this model range, actually. And so this comes to the point where I just would like to understand why do you think Neue Klasse is so special. When I look at uh, such uh, things historically in regards to how people used them, uh, again, to go get groceries, to haul their family around, to go drive the back roads of Germany, yeah. to go to the racetracks throughout Europe and put this car to its limits. So those are the things that excite me, honestly, and those are the things that run through my mind and through my veins in regards to my daily approach with these cars. And I say daily approach because I don't own a modern car. I drive oh, really? these cars daily. Yes, I do not. I, I drive these cars daily uh, and I look forward to the racetrack uh, in my mind quite often, even though I can't go racing every single day. Yet, Jim, the year 2024 has just started. So you have 350 plus days uh, to go racing. And let's say money and time is no object. What would be your racing wish for the coming year? Oh, JP, yes. Tell me. If I could make a race wish come true, I envision and would love to see happen the Goodwood Revival. This is definitely where I see you. I love that race. Yes. That event. Yes. It's such a wonderful event. It's period correct, as you know. The 100%. racing is fairly intense, as you know. The track is seems interesting. And of course, the cars that are there are uh, worth the visit alone. Yes. And as you know, there are a few... Uh, four-door uh, Neu-class cars that do race there. It seems like they show yes. up every other year. So actually, when I was at Goodwood last year in 2022, there was four uh, Neu-classes racing there, a couple yes. of 1800 TIs, and I think two TISAs. So that was awesome. I got to meet those folks and uh, talk shop in regards to these four-door German bricks, which I love. Duke of Richmond, uh, your grace, if you listen to this, there is uh, Jim Huff in the beautiful city of San Francisco 
who thinks that the most beautiful thing in his life will be racing 17 on the track in, in, in a Goodwood going down St. Mary's and uh, have a lot of fun. Yes, I would love to do that. Uh, I, I had this other sort of dream on top of a dream. Instead of going through all of the efforts and, and time of shipping 17 to England, uh, in my mind, I sort of created, I wonder if I could pull off some sort of exchange program, like one of the already set up four-door race cars over there. They would let me maybe run their car yes. even for one race, and then I would let them run my car uh, at Laguna Seca. That's the most wonderful thing <laughs> I heard today. So uh, the to the swarm out there, tuning in to this episode of uh, Classic Heart, if you happen to drive a Neue Klasse in vintage racing in Europe, please reach out to Jim Huff. Let's make this happen. Yes, I, mean, I love that's, it. The Neue Klasse exchange program. Amazing. That's a great perfect. name right there. Let's, yes. Absolutely. I'm going to make a new t-shirt just for you, JP. Yes. 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 Make sure it's a triple XL. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the uh, hashtag uh, Neue Klasse, N-K-E-P. Yes, exchange program, exactly. Yes. NKEP. I love that. Perfect. Let's do it. I, I mean, I've created my own uh, NK uh, situation here in the United States. It's yeah. uh, NKCA, New Class Club yes. of America. Yes. So yes. we can build upon that and just do these like four door, four letter uh, scenarios. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about the four doors and four letters. It's genius. <laughs> So what would be your advice uh, if someone now thinks, oh, maybe an, a brick-style four-door saloon from BMW from the 60s might be my choice? Um, what would your recommendation for a limited budget, in a sense? My sarcastic answer out of the gate is don't do it. But my <laughs> real answer... Uh, you know, in the world of vintage BMWs, I think a 2002 is such a great start. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can sort of figure out if that's something that uh, you embrace and, and uh, that you like in regards to the style and the handling and the uh, horsepower provided and uh, all of those things. Honestly, to go out and find a Neue Klasse is a much harder feat mm -hmm. just because there's not many around. So... Um, uh, I, I guess I, I looping back this, my stepping stone advice would be to start with a BMW 2002, which is a great car, an iconic vehicle. That's the car that has plenty of parts available for it and is quite easy to, to get running and to keep running. Nice. Jim, thank you very, very much. It was really like enjoyable. And I think you are a great ambassador for the Neue Klasse in, in the world, I would say. And um, thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate you all having me and uh, I, I carry that ambassador card with a smile on my face and I uh, appreciate what you all are doing. And it, it's been a real treat uh, sitting here talking to you about more than a few different things, not just uh, those old German bricks that I love. It was really like a joyful time. And of course, what would be this podcast uh, without a great team behind it? And there we have Robin 
who is helping us from shot one to keep all the ends together. We have Frederica, who takes care that uh, you guys listen to something very interesting as our editor. Uh, then we have Alex and Marcus, who make us very sound uh, very well, and many others. So thank you for joining for the first episode in 2024. And I wish you all uh, that it becomes a great year. And if you have not heard about us before, Just browse through all the fantastic 30 plus episodes with 30 plus fantastic guests and uh, hit the subscribe button. Then you will never miss uh, one episode. And please leave us a high rating on the podcast service uh, you love. And of course, also give us hints and uh, thank you all for all of those who sent us many ideas for guests for the podcast. It's really appreciated. Use all the uh, social media channels, send it to us and we try to fit this in and it's going to be a great time. Jim, I wish you a fantastic day in San Francisco. I hope to see you at the track, JP. And um, I really, again, appreciate uh, this and it was great meeting you all. Thank you very much and you all have a great time. Be safe out there and enjoy uh, driving, but always drive responsibly. Thank you very much. Bye.